Welcome, welcome, welcome. So good to have you today on this magnificent, wonderful day, the day that we celebrate the birth of our King. I'm going to tell you, just think, Jesus belongs to the world. He belongs to the world. I mean, He came and gave Himself to the world. Everybody on this earth has a right to the name of Jesus. There's not anybody that He'll turn down because of this glorious King that came from heaven. And, of course, this is, this is beyond my wildest imaginations, you know, that He would do such a wonderful thing for us. But it just goes to show us how much He loves us, that He would lay down His deity. He would come through the womb of a woman and become a man. And He would live a perfect life and show us what we're supposed to do. He lived an example for you and I, and He explained this to us in detail. And I'm telling you, I have missed it, and the church has missed it, and I mean virtually everybody has missed it. I didn't realize when the Lord said in His Word, the devil has deceived the whole world. He did it to you and me, didn't He, Keith? Keith was here early. He helped me put out the chairs and we were talking about how we wonder how we missed all this since here it is in the book. But there's still a multitude of people out there that's missing it. Now then, I don't know what the percentages are, but since I've been in church all of my life and I know what the Word says now, I've studied it in detail, don't have a corner on it. Uh, you know, I still don't know everything about it, but I know a whole lot more than I did. But I think about the number of people that's out here in the world that has a legal right to the name of Jesus. And that anyone, without exception, makes no difference who you are, you can come to Jesus and you can accept Him as your Lord and Savior and your Master. And it makes no difference what you've done. makes no difference where you've lived. makes no difference what nationality, creed, race, color, anything you are. He will forgive your sins and He will make you a son or a daughter of God. Now that's beyond my comprehension, really, to think that He loved all of us that much. But He did that. And that's what he came for 2,000 years ago. But then the other part, I, I, the percentage that knows that, I really think in the world it's down around 2 or 3%. I really think that there's only 2, 3, 4, or 5% of the whole world that knows Jesus with enough of knowledge and enough faith to be able to get to go to heaven. Now, the other day when we sat there and talked to Howard Pittman, Howard was a Baptist preacher that died in 1979, and he went to heaven, and on the highway to heaven, he told us that the Lord showed him in the 15 minutes of time that it took for his artery that severed for him to actually die and get to heaven was 15 minutes on earth. And the Lord showed him that in that 15 minutes of time, 2,000 other people on earth had died in that same 15 minutes but only 50 of those 2,000 were going to get to go to heaven. That's 2.5%. That meant 97.5% were 
was going to hell. Now, he saw that, and he shared that with us the other day, face-to-face in an interview, discussion, whatever you want to say. We had the privilege to sit down and talk with a man that 1979, which was a Baptist preacher, which had preached on the streets, which had preached in churches, but had been a police officer also in the world for 20 years and retired, and then died and got to go to heaven. And when he showed up at the gates of heaven, God told him he was going to get no rewards, none. He said, you didn't do nothing for me on earth. Everything you did, you did it for yourself. You were not serving me. And I thought, I wonder how many of us think we're serving God and we're really not. We're serving ourselves. I don't think we understand what this book says. I think that we, some of us read the book, but we don't. I mean, I read it for years, but I didn't understand it. I'll have to say I didn't understand it. I'm not here to say today I understand everything there. But I understand it a whole lot better today than I did 30 years ago. And I do now realize that the thing I'd missed all of my life, which I get letters all the time from people, and some of them try to correct me in this area that I'm wrong in what I'm teaching. In fact, I had a three-page letter just this last week from a person that said I needed some correction in several areas. But they're not seeing any miracles. They're not getting any answers to prayer. And they're definitely not seeing God do great and mighty things. So, So, I mean, I'm here today... Out of the goodness of their heart, they think they're right. They think they're right. But they don't understand the Word. They think they do. You know, they could sit down with you and talk to you and say, but this is what the Word says here. But, you know, the part that we've missed is that when this king came to this earth, he walked a perfect, pure, holy life. And he had zero sin in his life. Now then, this is the part that I had missed for me to walk in that grace that he provided. I got to walk in that same thing. I got to walk just exactly like he did to walk in grace. He walked in grace because he had no sin. I, I, as a church member for years, didn't think that was even possible for me to do that. But now I know it is possible to walk there. I know that we don't understand the law, and a lot of people think the law is gone. And it is, as long as you walk in grace. But when you sin, the law is there again. And starting Tuesday night, we're going to discuss some of these things. Tuesday night at 7 till 9. We have Bible study every Tuesday night. We are going to get into these things. I'm going to start a series on teaching these things. And I'm going to teach them so clear from God's Word. If you don't get, the, if you don't get it from the teachings I'm fixing to do, from the words I'm going to teach, something wrong with you. Something wrong with you. You don't believe the Word. I'm going to show you and confirm to you in the Word what the Lord has done. Now then, before we start teaching in the book today, anybody have a testimony you want to give? Anybody have a testimony? There's a young lady back here who's got a testimony. Praise the Lord. Come up here, young lady. Tell us what Jesus has done for you. Praise the King. 
Praise God. Well, I just wanted to elaborate. Two weeks ago, my four-year-old came up here and, and was so excited about giving testimony about us being pregnant, and I just wanted to elaborate on that that day, but I was nervous. So, anyways, um, it really was a faith battle for her because our battle was changing Papa's heart about wanting it. And every morning for a few months, or for about a good month, she and I laid hands over my womb and prayed over it and asked the Lord to change Papa's heart. And many times I just was so discouraged and I knew he's never going to change or, you know, never going to change his mind. But she said, Mommy, we forgot to pray over your womb this morning. And she prayed every morning. And she was in faith. She knew we were going to have that baby. And so when uh, the month came and Papa just woke up one morning and he said, we're going to trust the Lord. Let the Lord decide. And I said, praise God. And in one week, we were pregnant. And um, <laughs> and so when I found out we were pregnant, I took the test, and I found out. I ran upstairs, and I woke Catalina up first. That's my four-year-old. And I said, Catalina, the Lord heard our prayer, and Mommy has a baby in her belly. And she said, this is what the Lord wanted for us. And that was from the mouth of a four-year-old. And I said, praise God. She's going to learn so much from this baby already just from the conception, but she's She's a little woman of faith. Praise God for her. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Oh, Ty, you got one? Praise the Lord. Glory. Merry Christmas, everybody. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you have prepared your hearts for this weekend, for tomorrow? Amen. Praise the Lord. Raise your hand up. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you didn't raise your hand up, I want you to prepare your heart. All week long, I've been praying and worshiping Daddy and telling him how much I love him. Ask him to use me tomorrow when I have all these people come to our house. And we'll have 40 or 50 people over there tomorrow. And so, this morning, as I was sitting reading the Word, 6 o'clock this morning, I hear a knock on the door. I hollered, well, come in, whoever it is. <laughs> and I looked up and it was a, it was a, well, he's, he's, I don't know how you, I don't know how this relative is. He's married to my cousin. What's that making? I don't know. <laughs> a relative. <laughs> a cousin in law. <laughs> He'd driven about 75 miles to see me. He said, I need to talk to you. I said, Well, come on in. I was at my desk praising God. And he said, Ties, you know, every year at Christmas when I come and see you, you know, I. I know how you changed from where you used to be, from what what my wife tells me. He said, "I got a problem. I need help." So I sat down there and prayed to this man, and and he poured his heart out. And and one thing about the Lord, Daddy, when when you humble yourself and pray, He hears your words and He sees your tears. And Daddy heard him. Daddy heard him as he was crying out to him for help. That's the daddy that we have, an awesome daddy. And so, see, you even know what you're doing when you're talking to, to loved ones and even ones that aren't loved. Every year when they come, when you get together at Christmas time. What an awesome gift to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. So tomorrow, you don't even know. You may just be kind, loving words. You may just be loving on somebody. Just putting your arm around and giving them a hug. <laughs> and you don't know what it's going to do. Now, this, this gentleman I've known for, I don't know, eight years now. And I several times I've talked to him about the Lord and, you know, just tell him how much Daddy loves him. And he'd go in one ear and out the other, but he, he, 
He heard. He heard and he listened. And you know, you don't know. You have no idea what your words are. The things that you say what will happen later in life. So you know, tomorrow and tonight, those of you who are celebrating tonight, you know, if the Holy Spirit brings somebody on your mind, pick up that phone and call them. Just tell them you're thinking about them. The Holy Spirit just reminded you of them. Just tell them how much you love them. Tell them how much you love them. Because Daddy loved you so much, He sent Jesus. Now He wants you to do the same. A servant is not above his master. So if you'll let him, he'll show you somebody to call tonight or this afternoon. And you'll be blessed. And they'll be blessed. In Jesus' mighty name, we praise you, Daddy. Now, Father, everyone in this house, Lord, prepare their hearts, Daddy. Each one of them, Daddy. Each one of them, Daddy, prepare their hearts. So tomorrow, tonight, the words that come from their mouths, Lord, will be you speaking through them. Lord Jesus, I just ask you now to love everybody they see through them. When they see them, Daddy, let them see them through your eyes, Lord. Father, I just I'm excited about the praise reports we're going to have next week. <laughs> so we just thank you, Daddy, for you. and Merry Christmas to everybody, and Merry Christmas to you, Daddy. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank Amen. you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Amen. Praise the King. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on up here, James. Glory. Your own. I, oh, I'm on. <laughs> I'm not used to being by next year. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, uh, I just I, I remembered one small thing, but again, everything small and big is, is the same to the Lord, right? Amen. I mean, He just loves us all the same. So we were. Um, oh, it was a, it was the day of your your Christmas party. Yeah, some friends of ours needed some help moving. They had a piano they needed moved up to the third floor. I said, I love a challenge. I'll, I'll help you guys. <laughs> and they're like, Thank you that you love a challenge. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. Um, so I rented a piano dolly, and we, we got there. We, we, we actually put the piano in the back of our van and loaded up our trailer. I brought a 4 by 8 foot trailer. We had it all fully loaded up, and we're heading over to their new, new house to move from a house to an apartment. So we're going down the road. Um, <laughs> I have to laugh. My son's driving. Jordan's driving, you know. So we're heading down the highway, you know, and and uh, we've, got a, we've got a friend in there with us, and He's such an excellent driver, the tire blew it, you know, the, the trailer blew a tire and we didn't even know it. <laughs> so I was like, first of all, praise the Lord that nothing critical happened because when that tire blew, I mean, it, it shredded. And in fact, it, it just it demolished the, the directional signal on that side of the van. But again, we just, we'd come to a stop and, and we kind of looked and it's like, the tire's gone. <laughs> so anyways, we pulled over and I, I didn't, I, I wasn't like, why us or anything like that. I was just like... Okay, tire blue. Let's see. I don't have a spare. Okay, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just, you know, we'll call some people, see what we can do here. And I, I, I was just, I wasn't upset about it. I was just praising the Lord that nothing else had happened, right? Amen. So uh, we're debating what to do. I said, well, let's take the trailer off. We'll just, we'll, um, we'll take the van and we'll, you guys go find a tire or something. And where we're going to find a tire today? And we called some friends like, oh, we don't know of any place. So anyway, um, a friend came by. We weren't too far from where we did the move. Um, he picked up. Um, the other gentleman was with us, and they, they're like, well, let's head on up the road. We'll see what we find. Well, they very quickly, the first place they went, they had one tire left. It would fit the trailer because I needed, I needed the rim and the tire. I mean, when the tire blew, the, the rim, it, it just tore up the rim. 
Okay, but I, like I said, excellent driver there. I taught him everything he knows. Hey, <laughs> you know. Oh, goodness, <laughs> so good, we didn't even know. <laughs> so they got the tire, the, the two gentlemen uh, came back, and the one that came by, he was like, wow, that was amazing. We just went there, they had the tire, we came back. He was like, i got to hang around with you guys. Everything works for y'all. I was hey, like, praise the Lord. Man, you know, hey, when man. you praise and worship the Lord and you don't get into... Um, grumbling, grumbling, and complaining, and things yeah. work out, and, and so it just, it, everything worked out perfectly. We got the tire back on. We 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 got the the stuff delivered. That we got the piano up to the third floor without dropping it. Everything worked out great. So praise Amen. the Lord. Praise 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 the Lord. Okay, sure. Praise the King. Praise the King. This weekend I went to Austin for a wedding, and, and the first miracle was my friend Debbie and I prayed when we left that there would be no traffic. And if you've ever driven to Austin, <laughs> no traffic, open like the Red Sea, okay? And for not for just us, but for my friend's husband and, and the kids he's picking up at the airport, and then her other daughter, and there was none. We all made it in record time going to Austin. They're like, wow, this is cool. And then I asked the Lord, you know, the rain was supposed to come, and I said, give us a beautiful weekend. It can, you can let it rain when I get home. So we get rain when I get home. They're like, this is too weird. And then the greatest thing is I talked to my little niece, and she was wanting a new job. And, you know, she had this baby, and so now she wants to be right by the baby. So in Granbury, and she's a social worker. So anyway, I said, do you want the job? And she said, yes. And I said, well, just tell God you'll get the job. And out of five applicants, she got the job. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a woman of faith, huh? I'm telling you, we got a woman of faith here, I'll tell you for sure. Okay. We got one more. Oh, okay. Who's this? Bring up baby Brianna. <laughs> and James, come back up here. Now this, this is this is baby day. You know, we're all celebrating baby Jesus coming. Amen. Praise we got an awesome miracle in our own church, and it's because of all y'all's prayers. Amen. Yeah, this is all Amen. y'all's prayers. Amen. Everyone in this house has this prayed for this little lady. baby. Lord, you look at this beautiful skin. Look at this beautiful baby. Look at her breathing good. <laughs> look at their bones growing. Amen. All because yes. of your prayers. Amen. All because you said it with your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Let's give Daddy the glory. This is so awesome. Oh, yes. We just continue to praise and worship the Lord. There's been so many miracles, you know, and and it is it is a a body of Christ event. It's not just me praying. It's not just Thurman and Ty praying. It's everybody's prayers and just the constant prayers have been a has been a blessing to us because there, there has been plenty of time for us to to grumble and complain about what we're having to go through and why we're going through it, but we're not. We are not. Oh, you want to say something? Oh, well. Yeah, she's like I used to be very shy in front of a microphone. <laughs> praise the Lord, he's got me up here leading praise and worship because I would not have done that on my own. No, no, but uh, we are just so thankful for the Lord for this. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. This is an awesome miracle. Awesome miracle. In fact, I guess one of the greatest miracles in this child, of course, all of them are great, but the one about where the skull had, you know, grown back together, and it was not, they said they'll have to go in there and do surgery and split the skull. It will never spread. And so, 
we all prayed. And the skull spread apart, which is impossible. The doctors say is impossible to happen. But let me tell you, when we prayed in faith, it happened, didn't it, James and Lori? It happened. Of course, Ty, being a doctor, he knows what kind of a miracle this is. He knows a whole lot better than we do. You know, I, I don't know all those things. So, you know, it's just kind of with me. I say, okay, God, I know you can do it. It's just a piece of cake for you. But he understands all the inter parts of what makes all that happen. And he knows physically it's impossible. Just like when Vernon Cannon came here the other day. Ty was here at Bible study Tuesday night a few couple nights, a couple weeks ago. When Vernon and his wife drove from Hobbs, New Mexico, and uh, two and a half months before that, he'd come to a healing school, and he was 77 years old. And he asked me, said, at the end of the healing school, said, do you think God can heal dyslexia? I told him, no. I know he can. Yeah. I don't think he can. I know God can do anything. Can he, Benjamin? Yes. And so I prayed the prayer of faith for him. Then he said, what do I have to do? I said, what you need to do, you need to build that intimate relationship with the king. You need to worship him and praise him and thank him every day, many times, for your beautiful, clear, sharp eyes that you can read perfect with. And so he did that over and over and over. And he said, how strange it was to look up at words and I can't read anything. And I said, Lord, thank you that I can see those words perfect in the name of Jesus. Somebody said, you're lying. No, He's calling things that be not as though they were, and they shall become. Well, two and a half months later, after we prayed for Him, He's standing of all places in church on Sunday morning, worshiping the Lord, thanking the Lord. He can read the words on the screen perfect, and He can't read anything. And all of a sudden, he said, Lord, I want to thank you that I can read those words perfect. And they all came into perfect order for the first time in 77 years. We serve an awesome Jesus. And so he went to dinner with his wife and he could read the menu for the first time in 77 years. And he didn't tell her until they got home. When they got home, he said, Honey, the Lord has healed me. He, she, well, I know you've been saying that now for two and a half months. He said, No, but today I can really read. And she says, You really can? He said, Yes, I really can. She runs over and gets the Bible, opens up and said, Read something for me. And he started reading and he said, My wife lost it. <laughs> What was 52 or 55 years or whatever they'd been married? She began to jump up and down and praise God because the man she'd been married to 50-something years had never been able to read. And today he can read perfect. And he was reading the Word of God. Why don't we serve an awesome Jesus? And just think, Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago so that we could have those kind of things. He came to this earth. And... Oh, by the way, I'm, while I'm looking back there at Marlene, I just want you to know one more time that Friday night at 7 o'clock at her house, and I don't think we have any of those deals left. Uh, do what? I don't think we have any of the flyers left. But anyway, we're going to have the Christmas party. I hope you've already gotten a flyer. But if you haven't, 
and you don't know how to get there if you'll either call Marlene or call the ministry center this week, my precious little Kathy back there, she'll be happy to either fax you, email you, or something, instruction how to get to Marlene's house. You know, she knows how to do all that. So, uh, you know, I've got all these beautiful daughters out there that take such good care of me and Cheryl. <laughs> I said, we have these beautiful daughters out there. They're such precious girls. They take such good care of us. But I want us to turn in the Word of God to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. I want us to see a little something. You know, I've come to realize that when I, as I, the more I read the book, the more I realize, although Jesus did become poor and He laid down everything to become a man... He was not a normal man, was he? When somebody says, Jesus became poor that I might become rich, let me tell you. When people said, well, see, see, we used to think that we had to humble ourselves and have nothing, or we couldn't be a Christian. I pulled the airplane up to the pump the other day to buy some fuel, and I walked over to talk to this young man. There was about three little airplanes sitting there. And I walked over to talk to him about Jesus. And he says, you're a Christian? I said, oh, yeah. He said, how can you fly an airplane like that and be a Christian? I said, it's simple. I've learned how to live the abundant life. I said, the Lord bought me that airplane and gave it to me as a gift. He said, what? He said, I was always told to be a Christian you had to be poor. I said, well, you didn't find that in the Bible. I said, you go to church? Well, not very much. I said, that's your problem. Do you read the Bible? Well, not very much. I said, that's your second problem. I said, when you read the book, you'll find out that Jesus come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. I said, so, yes, I can fly a big, beautiful airplane like that and still be a Christian. In fact, I'm going to tell you, we've done something the night before last that I've never done. It was 8 o'clock. We were finishing dinner. We had a beautiful dinner. Yesha fixed a beautiful dinner for us, and several of us were there. Uh, you know, Jenny was there, and uh, Wendy was there, and Dave and Yesha was there, and me and Cheryl was there. And, and we were talking, and Cheryl said something about, well, we ought to go look at lights. Christmas lights. And uh, I said, yeah, why don't we? She said, let's fly to see the lights. I said, okay. She said, really? I said, you want to go flying? We'll go see the lights. Dave runs in, gets the address of where the interlocking is down there. We go out and get in the 421. We go out and take off. And I fly about a thousand feet off the ground. And I try to pull it back to idle almost, and I finally get it slowed down to 180. That's as slow as I can get it slowed down. Well, we fly around over interlocking and all over Dallas, and we make some beautiful turns. It's a beautiful clear night, and we look down at all the beautiful Christmas lights from 1,000 feet above at 180 miles an hour. And I thought, you know, this is the way to live. Isn't that right, Keith? None of that traffic, none of the nonsense, just beautiful. I thought, 
And then we come back over and landed there. I had my private navigator, which is Dave, lead me right back into Northwest. We come in. I thought, you know, God, you're so good. And I can do all these things because you humbled yourself as a man and came to this earth and died for me so that I can live the abundant life. And I said, Lord, it's taken me a lifetime to learn how to get there. It's taken me a lifetime. It took you almost one, too, didn't it, Sharon? You know, Sharon took her almost a lifetime, Christian girl, sick, afflicted, didn't understand the Word, went to church, had hundreds of people pray for her, never got her prayers answered, couldn't get her own prayers answered. But then she really got a hold of the Word and what it requires. Now then, that woman of faith, I mean, we've got lots of women of faith. Kathy Becker's a woman of faith. My Honey Bunny's a woman of faith. Ty Sherrill's a woman of faith. But we've got all of you women that are women of faith. Y'all are learning how to take this great gift that Jesus gave you and make it work for you. Life is so much fun. But Jesus didn't do things little. I mean, we have been deceived. Jesus didn't do things little. I mean, when He came, the angels came out. They made themselves visible in the heavenlies. Can you imagine this scene? When that song says, the, the shepherds quake? Yeah. If you were there and all of a sudden there's a heavenly host like a choir up there singing and they don't have no bleachers to sit on, you would probably tremble too, wouldn't you? I mean, these glorious beings are grander. They're worshiping that little baby that's been born. They know who that is. That's their boss. They're worshiping him. He's became a man and he's done all kinds of things. Now then, a lot of people say that Jesus was poor. But you know, that's only relative. That's kind of like saying that I am rich compared to Bill Gates. Compared to Bill Gates, I'm not very wealthy. But compared to some people I know, I'm very wealthy. You know what I mean? I mean, some of you right now today, in fact, I'm going to tell you that many of you are living in a nice home, driving a nice car, you got money in the bank, and your bills are all paid, some of you. But some of you are not there. But some of you are. You know? And it's amazing that if we will do what God says in His Word, and of course, we have not done that. Many people, excuse me, have not done what the King says. But the King says in His Word that if you will put me first and you will worship me and you will praise me, He says, whatever you put your hands to, I will make it prosper for you. Uh, Jesus said that, didn't He? When people say, well, Jesus didn't have no money. Yes, He did. He took at least a dozen men with Him and probably their wives and maybe their children. And He had a man that took care of the money sack. And they give to the poor and the needy all the time. And Judas stole from the money bag on a regular basis, it says in the Scriptures. I'm telling you, Jesus was not poor on the earth. You don't travel around over this earth like he did with all those men and women 
and give to the poor and the needy if you ain't got a treasure that's got money in the bank. Right? It takes money to do what Jesus did. So we've been deceived, but Jesus did things big. Now, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read some scriptures out of here, and I'm going to show you something else he did big. And it never did sink in on me that this is what he meant until just recently. But in chapter 2, it says, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking. Now then, when we get this wise men, how many wise men do we always talk about? Three. You will find nowhere in the Scripture where it says there were three. There's nowhere in there that says there's three wise men. It says some wise men from the east. I'm going to tell you it was a whole lot more than three. And I'm going to prove to you why down here in just a few minutes. But some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose, and we have come to worship Him. Now, these men have seen His star arise, and they have come to worship Him. And it says, Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. Now, wait a minute. And three little men rode in on three little camels, why was anybody even in question about three dinky little men riding in on three little camels in the course of a day? Well, let me tell you, there was not three men. There was wise men, bunches of them. And they didn't come with that gold and myrrh. And all the stuff they came with, frankincense, all these expensive gifts, they didn't cross the deserts out there with three camels with all that gold with the bands of hoodlums that were out there. These men came in power. These men came. The wise men, these men were rich men from other countries. They had their own little bands of men maybe their own minor armies. So when all of a sudden you look up and here come these camels and horses and donkeys and wagons and they're coming in and they got the men up front and then they got the fancy wagons back there or whatever with the men of power and authority, these wise men that were dressed in all of their gold and their beauty and everything as they rode through the streets of Jerusalem, everybody said, Who are these people? Are they coming to attack us? What do they come here for? Look at what's going on. Aren't you afraid of this? These men didn't ride in three little men with all that gold and all these gifts. They came in power. I can only imagine what this scene looked like. Because it said, Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. 
You know, I mean, three men riding in. Who will? I mean, three men ride into the city of Dallas. I mean, maybe they are riding in in a new uh, fancy car or something. But it's just three of them. Ain't nobody concerned. But if you can't get down the freeway because the president come in and they've closed things down, you can't get into a side street even. There's police officers everywhere. And they got these armed guards up in front and everything else. And the president's in town. Let me tell you, the whole city wants to know what's going on. This is kind of the way I see this. Did you know the president doesn't come to town? Just He doesn't fly in out here at DFW and just get off and, and go through normal customs or whatever and then walk out and get in a little van or something, and they pick him up and take him somewhere for a meeting. That's not the way it happens when the president comes. Do you know right now, of course, being a pilot, if I want to fly anywhere toward Waco, there is a notum that just came out for 30 nautical miles on each side of Bush's Ranch don't you dare try to fly into that area. If you do, there will be fighter jets that's either going to put you down or they're going to shoot you down. So, if you're flying a little airplane like me, you pay attention to those rules because if you get down there somewhere, you can be assured there will be a fighter flying along beside you and the guy's going to contact you on some radio frequency. He's going to tell you, follow me. And if you say, good guy, I'm going this way, and you start toward Bush's Ranch, he's going to come up and he's going to shoot you down with a missile and you're going to be on the ground and you're going to be dead. Their orders are to kill if you don't stay out of that 60 nautical mile area until the 2nd of January when Bush is going back to Washington. He does things big when he does them. This is just like Jesus. When Jesus came, when these wise men from the east came, they came with their armies. Not only was Herod concerned, but all of Jerusalem was concerned. I mean, today, if you were going to head somewhere in your own car, if you had all kinds of gold and money in it, I guess you'd go out there and tell everybody, hey, I'm fixing to go to Oklahoma City in my car, and i got a million dollars in gold bullion in the trunk. I'm sure you'd tell everybody, wouldn't you? No, you wouldn't. You know, I mean, what if you, were, if you, what if you had a, somebody, what if somebody just give you $100,000 in cash? You had it in a little black bag, you know? You know, I wouldn't want to walk through DFW Airport with a handcuffer in my hand, the handcuffs of that bag. Why? Because everybody would automatically know there's something very important in that bag. If I had $100,000 in cash I had to transport to New York City, I'd want to put it in a paper sack. You know, something really inexpensive and cheap, you know, an old cloth bag or something. You know, something totally, completely inconspicuous because I don't want somebody to grab this thing out of my hand. You know, you don't want to look the part if you got that kind of money. But Jesus looked the part. And these guys looked the part. When they came into town, I can see those fancy camels. The donkeys with the fancy saddles on them. I can see the, the wagons, you know, everything. And all their servants, 
the wise men from the east came to see the new king. I mean, poor people don't come to see the king. Rich people come to see the king. Is that right? Sure. I mean, if you're poor, you ain't got the money to make the trip in the first place. You know? Is that true? Yeah. So you see a star in the east and you're broke and flat and you ain't got nothing and you ain't got a car and, it, and it's all the way into another country. And they had to walk and ride horses and wagons and everything else back in those days. And those poor people, there was no 7-Elevens en route to stop and get them something to eat. They had to take their food with them. You know, today, we don't know what it's like to have to rough it. We have no idea, do we, brother? No, no, but we don't have any idea of what it is to have to rough it. You know, I'm going to tell you, uh, I was talking to a gentleman up at the Baptist Church here a while back, and he said, my wife and I and our two sons, we're going to go out to the lake and rough it this weekend. I said, the way you said that, would you mind explaining that to me? He said, yes, we're going to a beautiful lake that's got a great, big, beautiful hotel overlooking the water, and we're going to rough it in that hotel for a couple of days. And <laughs> see, when I was raised up, roughing it on the lake, taking your tent, you know, and a little pot, and no, no, no gas burning stove. You just take your little wood, you build your little deal, put you some rocks around it, and put you some stones there, get them all, and put you some wood in there, get you some, uh, fire going, and get some hot coals of wood, and then set your pot on there to, you know, cook, whatever. That's, that's what we used to rough it, you know. You know, sleep on the ground, you know, with the rattlesnakes down on the river. You know, I mean, that's the way we did it. In fact, I went down to the lake one night, and, and there was a sign there that said, caution, there's been so many rattlesnakes seen in the area, you need to, you know, really be very careful. So, that night, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have nothing but the clothes on my back. I really went out to rough it down the lake to fish and everything. But we was watching, you know, making sure there was no snakes. We were stepping on them while we were fishing. That went about two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock. When I finally got tired, I went up into the park up there a little ways up from where we were fishing. And there was some concrete tables up there. And I just crawled up on top of one of those concrete tables and just laid down and slapped on that concrete table. Now, to me today, that's kind of roughing it. You know, I mean, today I certainly wouldn't. I, oh, I love to sit and lay down in my soft bed and sleep at night. Now, don't you? Yes, I love it. But back in those days, sleeping on a concrete table, that's okay. No problem. I wasn't even sore. You know, I wasn't even sore. But... You know, I didn't have the money. I, I couldn't I sleep in a hotel. I mean, you know, give me a break. I was raised up in a poor home, and I never went out roughing and got sleep in a hotel. I didn't have that kind of money. You know, I just didn't have it. And so I did rough it because I, that's the only way I could go to the river or to the lake, you know, is just go out and rough it. Because we go fishing somewhere. We may maybe had enough gas money to get where we were going and get back. That's all we had. You know, otherwise we just, you know, we took some groceries out of the kitchen and, you know, we cooked that stuff and or took a can of beans or whatever and you don't have to eat much. But that's roughing it. But Jesus, he really didn't rough it here. You know, these kings of the east came, these wise men, they came to see the king. 
and they come bringing their gifts. What kind of gifts do you bring to a king? Do you bring him a donut? Not hardly, do you? I don't have nothing to bring to a king. I mean, for me to get President Bush a gift for Christmas, I ain't going to buy him nothing because he's got everything already. He don't need nothing I can buy for him. Nothing. But if I was in close enough contact with him to buy him a gift, what would you buy a man that's got everything? Who knows, you know. But do you know, that's kind of the way I feel. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to stand up here and get, let you take this wrong, but did you know I am at a place in my life where I don't need anything? Do you know that? I don't need a new shirt. I don't need a new tie. I don't need a new suit. I don't need any new shoes. I don't need anything. God has blessed me with everything. I don't have a need. I don't need money to pay my utility bill this month. I got it. I don't, I don't need money to make my house payment. It's paid for. You know why all this has happened in my life? Because I've read that book and I've been obedient to serve that book, the God of this world, and I've been obedient to do what He says. So He says, when you do this, I will bless you. And I will bless you and I'll meet all of your needs. He has done that for me. I don't have to walk out of here today saying, where are we going to get money to buy the pies for tomorrow? Cheryl's already went and bought them. You know? It's already paid for. And it's a wonderful place to live there, young lady. And see, it all revolves around mine and your willingness to put Jesus first. This king that came to this earth 2,000 years ago that paid this price for us that we still see him as that little baby in the manger. Well, let me tell you, he was only that little baby in the manger once. Today, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. He's not that baby in the manger no more. He is the King of the universe. To think that a man, a man, a glorified man is ruling the universe from the throne of God. And He came to this earth, become just like you and I, and He did it so we could have all these blessings. I mean, it's awesome. But what do we do? We don't believe Him. We don't believe Him. It's just like a man yesterday. I was on the phone with a man yesterday morning. He said, this stuff, he said, I picked you up on GLC a couple of years ago. And he said, my wife and I have totally changed our life. But he said, this stuff, I'm still in a wheelchair. I'm still sick. I'm still afflicted. And this stuff is not working for me. I said, something wrong with you. It ain't God. I can tell you that for sure. I said, you say your wife? Yes. How long have you been married? He told me, 35 years. I said, how's your relationship with her? Well, he said, if I got a problem, that's my problem. My wife. He said, I get so upset at her. I said, I'm going to tell you why God don't answer your prayer. Right there is number one problem right there. I said, God told you to love that woman like he loved the church, and he was willing to give his life for the church. I said, he clearly says in his word, if you don't love your wife like that, he says, your prayers will be hindered. And I said, mister, let me tell you what that means. It means they won't be answered. I said, you're going to have to straighten your act up, and you're going to have to ask God to forgive you for not loving that woman. 
I said, you in a wheelchair and she's taking care of you and you're having trouble with her? I said, you ought to be praising God for her. Well, after all, I'm not a normal feel-good preacher. You know. (laughs) I'll tell you just exactly like God said it in His Word. And if He said in His Word, you know, in other words, if Jesus said, I came to this earth to pay the price for you, and I became a man, I left my deity and my power as king of the universe, and I lay all that down, and I came down to the earth and humbled myself and became a man, and then I walked holy and purity for 33 years for you to show you exactly what you can do and what I expect you to do. And he said, if you do that, if you will do that, if you walk holy and obedient to me. And I've sent my Holy Spirit to help you to do that. If you will do that. He said, whatever you put your hands to, I will bless it for you. And I will take all sickness and disease away from you. And you'll have nothing like this. I'll keep the devil off of your back. He will not be able to touch you. And he said, I guarantee I'll take all sickness and disease and you'll not have any." And you know, the average church member don't no more believe that than they can fly without wings. They just don't believe it. You show it to them in the Word and they still don't believe it. Sin. It's amazing what sin does to us. See, you can be the best guy in the world around me. But when you walk out that door, Jesus goes with you. I don't go with you. He knows everything in your heart. Everything. And so that's why we have these problems we have. He knows. Then he says here, where is the new king of the Jews? Now, how do you say that went across with the king Herod? A replacement for me? I am king. But they say, where is the new king? We have seen His star as it arose and we have come to worship Him. That didn't go across too good either. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question as was all of Jerusalem and he called a meeting. It's time to call a meeting. And you notice he didn't call it of the poor people, did he? He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers. You want the head boys together when you have a meeting like this. You don't call a meeting and talk to the normal little working class of the religious law. Where did the prophet say the Messiah would be born? Now, think about this. He knows that this has been predicted. He knows that there's going to be a coming Messiah. Almost every leader in the world knows about the Messiah. They just don't believe in Him. He asked them, And the leader said, in Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophets wrote. O Bethlehem of Judea, you are not just a lowly village in Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men. He didn't go himself either. These men of power, they send their runners out there. 
Herod sent a private messenger to the wise men, asking them to come see him. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when when they first saw the star. He wants to know what's going on. When did you see this star? And so they give him a date. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem. You know, that's where the, our people have said this Messiah, this supposedly new king, is going to be born. Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child. Send this whole army of people out there to find him. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Was Herod pretty smart? He ain't nowhere close to smart as God, though, is he? But he's a smart man. He wanted to find out exactly when this king was born. Then he wants them to go over and find him with all their troops because Bethlehem is a little bitty tiny place. It's not very big. It's still not very big even today. But the king of kings was born there. After this interview, the wise men went their way. I can just see that group leaving Jerusalem. I mean, these wise men with their camels and their wagons and their donkeys and their soldiers and their their guardsmen and the men that come along with them. Back in those days, they were like a wagon train. You know, the wagon train used to have a wagon that was the... Chuck wagon, you know, where the groceries were cooked. And, you know, they had people, you know, these wise men, rich and well and powerful as these guys were, these guys might not have been able to make it in the wilderness on their own either. They had been pampered and had money and power, so you can be assured they had a group of men or men and women around them to take care of them. They were powerful. I can imagine this big group leaving Jerusalem, going to Bethlehem. Jesus doesn't do things little. I mean, after all, He's the King. He's going to be welcomed. He's already been welcomed by the heavenly host. So now that He's not going to send three dinky little wise men over there on three camels to give Him these powerful, rich gifts. They're coming in power. Once again... The star appeared to these people, and it guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, it didn't say the baby was. It said the child, where the child was. Now, see, they don't have the privilege to get around like we do today. They didn't see this star and go out and get on a 747 like they can today and say, hey, let's fly over to Jerusalem. And in 30 minutes, they can land in Jerusalem from wherever they were over there in that part of the world. I mean, a big airplane like that in a matter of an hour or two can fly all over that country over there. It's not that big, especially when you're flying five or six hundred miles an hour like those jets and everything do. But back in this day, they didn't have that privilege. They went at the speed of walking. That's the fastest you could get around. You know, a, 
Uh, two or three hundred miles or five hundred miles is not too bad in a 747. But five hundred miles if you're going to ride a donkey. I mean, you better take your water barrel with you, right? You know, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. So, you know, who knows how long it took. And so they got all the people together. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. Wait a minute. They entered what? The house. He's not in the manger anymore. So he's a little older. They're still over there. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and they worshipped the king, the little child. Now, how old was he? We don't know. Somewhere up to maybe even close to two years old. Maybe it's like little John David that runs around here. He's only he's less than two years old, and man, he runs around all over the place. Jesus was just like that one time. Just exactly like that. A little bitty guy running around. He was a man, but he was a supernatural man. He was the Son of God. But he was still 100% man. But when they came in and saw this little child running and playing, they fell on their faces and worshipped Him because they knew He was the King of kings. They had read the Scriptures. They knew what He come for. They knew He was something special because they didn't have a GPS to guide them over there. But they had a star from heaven. And you know that star from heaven might have been, might have been a big, beautiful, shining angel too. We don't know what that bright light in the sky was. It looked like a star. But it could have been a bright and radiant angel only a couple of three or four or five hundred feet up in the air. And he's walking along right in the clouds or right in the sky, bright and shining and looking like a star. But he's not limited to walking on the ground, is he, Tom? No, he can walk in the heavens. And he said, come on, boys, I'll show you all where the king's at. And so he was leading them over there. This is not done naturally. This was supernatural, and nobody even today has the power to do these kind of things like Jesus did back in this day and age. But he was God, and he's still God. It says, then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts. Opened their treasure chest. I can imagine it wasn't, oh, your treasure chest. Here is my little gift to you. I got a couple of gold coins in there for you for Christmas. I don't think so. When he says he, they opened their treasure chest, they were wise men, powerful and affluent, and they came to give gifts to a king. I mean, you don't come and give a $50 gift to a king, do you? No. No. You don't give a $100 gift to a king. Somebody says, good grief, I got a $100 
gift card for Christmas this year. Hey, that's fantastic. That's great for somebody like me and you. That's okay. But if I was giving Jesus a gift, do we have anything that's worthy of Him? No, I don't have nothing. I mean, I don't have everything I have. I mean, I'm not a multimillionaire by no means, but I've got a lot of assets and they're worth a few million. But if I give Him everything I had, would it be giving Him anything worthy of Him? No. What if I was worth, what if I was Bill Gates and I had billions? <laughs> it's nothing compared to Him. Yeah, that's really right. It's already all His, isn't it, Tom? You can't give God nothing. What does God want from you as a gift? You. That's exactly right. That's all He wants is you. That's all the King wants from you is you. The best Christmas gift, like Ty said a while ago, the best Christmas gift you can give the King this year for His birthday is you. Worship Him and praise Him and tell Him how much you love Him. He wants to hear that more than anything. That will make the king happy. You just tell him how much you love him. How grateful you are. Lord, I I lay there this morning for two hours after I woke up. I said, Lord, I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know how much I praise you. I want you to know how much I thank you for coming to this earth 2,000 years ago and dying for me so I can be your son. I said, Lord, I want to thank you for my house, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, everything, Lord. I thank you for them. I thank you for all the provision. I thank you that you bore my sins on the cross so I don't have to sin anymore. I thank you that you bore my sickness and disease so I don't have to be sick anymore. I thank you that you gave me power over the demons so I don't have to yield to them beasts anymore. I can drive them out in the name of Jesus. Talking about that, Dave, out at the ministry center, if his little son coughs or something, he said, get out of there, devil. Uh-huh. You know, and of course, Cassie's little Caitlin, she hears him. And so now then, if the devil, if anything tries to do something, she says, get out of here, devil. You can't do that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Where did you learn that? She said, well, Dave does that to little John all the time when he coughs or does anything. They said, get out of here, devil. You can't stay here in the name of Jesus. So she said, see, now I can't think of a better place to work and in a place where people see Jesus do all kinds of wonderful things all day, every day. Can you think of a better place than that to work? I can't. I love working out there for the King. I love seeing God do the miracles. I love seeing the people that work out there with us. I love to see them excited, on fire. I love coming in in the morning, coming back from, from out doing something and walk in and Kathy's jumping up and down. Have you got time for one more praise report? Wow. Or three more? Uh-huh. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love to see people get excited about what they do, about serving Jesus. It's so much fun. But the king don't do things little. You know, he does things big. He is a big God. Then he says, They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold. Wow, this is going to provide for him and his family for years into the future. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of these gifts was given to the king for everything that was going to be needed for him 
all the way through his life. He was taken care of by these wise men or the kings from the east. They came over and met his needs. Now, all of it belongs to him anyway, didn't it? So these rich and powerful wise men that saw this star, they came over and they brought money. They brought gold. They brought frankincense. They brought myrrh. And all these things were a special thing and was given to him for a special reason to take care of his entire needs through his entire life. He was not poor. He was rich. On our standards, even he was rich. He was able to support his ministry and give to the poor and everything. Jesus was not poor. He was rich. Then he says, But when it was time to leave, they went home another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, can you outdo God? Give me a break. You can't outdo the king. He knows everything. Then it says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, angels can appear to you in a dream. You can see these guys in a dream. You can see them walking right down the street. I have seen angels walking both eyes open right down a corridor in a hospital. I've seen them. You know, but I've seen them in dreams also, in visions. So you can't put God in a box how He's going to communicate with you. He can do it anyway if you're just willing to listen. But it says, the wise men, went, they left, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He says, get up. Now, this is in the middle of the night. He says, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return. Now, how long are we going to have to stay there? Until we're told to return. Now, God doesn't tell you everything. You know, He just gives you instructions of things to do. And anytime God gives you instructions of things to do, you know what you need to do? You need to do exactly what the king said. You know, exactly what he said. I mean, I think about right here when this uh, angel told him what to do. I think about the morning uh, years and years and years ago, and back in about 1979, I think that year, 1979, whenever the Lord spoke to me and He said, Son, you forgot to do your paperwork this morning. Now, why would that be important to God that I forgot my paperwork? I said, Yes, Lord, that's true. I was going to do it when I come by the office, but I forgot it. I said, But I only like 15 minutes under here and then I'll run right back over there and do it. He said, no, son, I want you to go do it right now. Okay. Now then, have I got a choice? Sure I do. I can obey or I can disobey. But I said, yes, Lord, I am hearing an audible voice, just like I'm hearing my voice right now. So I crawled out from under there, stood up and took one, two, and the supporting structure holding the 20,000 pounds of steel that I'd been under exploded and it lay flat on the ground where I was five seconds before. 
I mean, of course, when I, when one, two, and I hear this crash, you know, and you, although it's already on the ground, what does your reflexes do? You run. You know, you fall down. You skin your knees. You do all kinds of things. And then you look back and you think, Lord, if I hadn't obeyed you, I'd be dead right now. I would be dead. I said, Lord, I have no idea what you have for me in the future. But that verse in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that says, I am not my own, I am bought with a price, has just taken on a whole new meaning. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you gave up all rights to your flesh. Your spirit, your soul, and your body no longer belongs to you. Now, you want to run it like it belongs to you. And that's why there's so much sickness and disease in the church. We want to do it my way. But God speaks to you in His Spirit and says, I want you to go over and visit Sister Sue or Brother John today. You say, oh God, I ain't got time to do that. Lord, if I do that, I ain't going to get done what I want to do today. And He'll give you. He may say, I, I want you to go preach for me. Oh, God, I ain't got time for that now, Lord. Just lay that. I ain't got time to go down here and talk to that guy. You know, he said, but son, I've trained you in the work. But I ain't got time, Lord. I got this to, I got this to do. And then he don't talk no more. And a year or two or three later, you're laying there in a the hospital and the doctor says, I'm sorry, what you have is terminal and you have three weeks left to live. What? I'm only 40 years old, and I'm fixing to die. Oh, God, where are you? Oh, have I got your attention yet? God would never do me like that. Oh, yes, He will. If Who do you belong to? You're His. You're no longer yours. You're His. And when He tells you to do something, what are you supposed to do since you belong to the King? Now then, if you're the parent and God, if you are the parent and you tell one of your children to do something and they totally defy you and do something else, I guess you'd say, well, that's okay, son. You can do what you want to do. Oh, that's not the way it's done? You don't let your children just get by whatever they want to do? Oh, you wouldn't dare spank one of your children. Ooh. If you don't, your children will turn out like you don't like. God said in His Word, the rod of correction drives the evil far from a child. So if you don't use the rod of correction on them, you don't drive that devil out. He stays. And he'll always do something you don't like. Well, that's what had happened to Herod. Nobody had driven out the devil. And the devil was still there. So let's see what kind of guy he turned out to be. He said, Herod is going to try to kill the child, Jesus. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Now see, God's in control of everything. There's nothing catches him by surprise. Herod was furious. Now, this is back when he's still alive. He ain't dead yet. He died, but not, not yet. Herod was furious when he learned that the wise men had outwitted him. 
He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under because he was the wise men had told him the star first appeared to them about two years earlier. So by him having that information, he was so mad and he hated this new king, he sent his army over to Bethlehem and the surrounding area around Bethlehem. And he said, you ride in on your horses and you take your spears and your swords. And every child, in fact, if it's a boy, but I can just hear him now saying, every child that looks like it's under two years of age, kill it. And those soldiers went to that entire surrounding area and every child that even looked like it was... Do you think those soldiers run through there and said, I want to see if this is a boy and I want to know how old he is? How do you think those Roman soldiers did as they rode through the city of Bethlehem? They went to every house. They jerked every door open. If there was a baby, anything that looked anything like it might be under two or three years of age, they jerked it out of the mother's arms and killed it. Ran it through with a sword. Jerked it out of mother's arms riding down the street. Can you imagine this scene? That sounds just like our enemy, the devil. Herod's brutal action fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. See, Jeremiah had said this a long time before. A cry of anguish is heard in Ramah. Weeping and mourning unrestrained. Rachel. Weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. They are no more. The war has been raging. Jesus doesn't do anything on a small scale. And the devil, back in those days, he wanted to kill him. And he tried. You know, we read this, and we don't see this picture. I can't even fathom taking a little city like Justin, and all of a sudden, a herd of men, maybe today, in today's world, police officers, that have been given an order by their commanding general to go to Justin, and every kid... That looks like he's two or three year old or under. Kill him. I can't fathom that, can you? But this happened. This really did happen. And these Roman soldiers rode into the city of Bethlehem and they killed every child that looked like he was two years of age or older or under. They didn't stop to say, Are you the Messiah? No. They just killed you. Wow. So let me tell you. When you read this story, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again in Egypt. 
And he told him, Get up and take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. That's many years later. So Joseph returned immediately to Israel with Jesus and his mother Mary. But when he learned that the new ruler was Herod's son, he was afraid. Then in another dream, he was warned to go to Galilee. See, God directs everything if you'll just listen. All you got to do is listen. The king will talk to you. You seek him. So they went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets concerning the Messiah. He will be called a Nazarene. Now see, everything that he said about the Messiah had to come to pass. The Lord knew all of these things in advance. But let me tell you, this little bitty tiny boy is no longer a little bitty tiny boy. Just think, he's about six foot tall. He probably weighs about 200 pounds, if you can weigh it. He, he will look just exactly like a man. When you and I look upon Him, we will see Him in His glorified state. But John, one of the men that walked with Him, ate with Him, slept with Him, talked with Him, prayed with Him, did everything when he saw the glorified Christ. He couldn't even stand in His presence. Fell on His face. But He was still a man. But a glorified man. And he holds up that hand and you still see the hole in it. He holds up that one and it's still there. You can see the light coming through to remind you, I did this for you. That way you know who the real Jesus is. There won't be no question. How many men have come to say, I'm Christ? How many people today? In the last hundred years that we know of, uh, just give me a number. How many people have you heard that said, I'm, I'm Jesus? There's hundreds of them. But they lack one thing when they hold up their hand. There's no hole in it. You know they're a liar. When the real one comes one day, you'll know who He is. If He's your Savior and your Lord, you will know who He is and you will not be able to stand in His presence. But he'll walk over and he'll put his hands on your shoulders and say, My son or my daughter, stand up and look me right in the eye. I love you. Wow. The King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods. Then he's going to put his arm around and say, Tell me what you did with the gifts I gave you. And we're going to Oh, are we going to be? Oh, God, I didn't know how real you were, Lord. I could have done a lot better. I hear that every day. What did you do for Jesus today? Well, I didn't do as much as I should. I know I could have done better. I hear that every day. Hey, if you're saying that, then change. Start doing something for the King. Who knows? He might come for you tonight. 
What are you going to be doing tonight when the king comes? If he comes for you tonight, you want to be like the rich man? Oh, I am rich. Oh, man, I got all these crops this year. I mean, my barns won't hold it all. I know what I will do. I will tear down all these barns and I'll build great big ones. And then I'll fill all these things full. And then I will sit back and say, sit back and take life easy. You have enough stuff set up for years. All you got to do is just eat, drink, and be merry. And call your friends in and have a party. The king says, you fool. You fool. Tonight. Your soul shall be required of you. That's something none of us know when our own private rapture is going to come. You know that? But a many a person will have theirs today. A many a person will have their private meeting with the king today. Boy, when I have my private meeting with the king, I want to be prepared. Don't you, Tom? I want to make sure every sin's repented of, and I know I'm loving him and walking in obedience to his word. I don't want to stand in front of the king without knowing I've done all I can do. I'll tell you one time I had a meeting something like this with an executive vice president of the company we worked for. There was ten engineers, which I was one of the ten. We covered the entire world for the corporation that we worked for. He called us to Washington, D.C., to the head office, and he took us all out to dinner one night, ten engineers, and here's the executive vice president, and he starts down at the end of the table, and he says, I don't remember the names of the guys, it's been so many years ago, but I'll just say, Keith, what could you do better for me if I give you a 10% increase in pay? And so, Keith begins to tell him. Then he comes down and dies. What could you do better for me this year if I give you a 10% increase in pay? And Ty tells him what he could do. Every one of them has something. And I'm the last guy at the end of the table. If I give you a 10% increase in pay, what better could you do for me this year? I said, sir, I give you 150% every day of my life. I said, there's not anything I can change. If you give me a 100% increase in pay, there's not a single thing I can change. He said, you get the increase. Isn't that amazing? I got the increase. I didn't tell him what I could do better for him to give me more money. I was doing everything I could do for him. Well, that's kind of the way I live my life for Jesus. We try to give him everything we can every day. You know, we spend hours working. I, I hope he's happy with this. Because if he's not, then I know what he'll do. The first thing he'll do is stop answering our prayer, won't he, Ty? Right. <laughs> that's, that's the first. Oh, it's you again. You come ask me to do something. Well, what have you done for me lately? But if he comes in, he says, oh, it's you, Ty, my son. What can I do for you? That's what we want him to say, right, Ty? Yes, praise the king. We love it when the king answers our prayers, don't we? Yes. Well, let me tell you, he's today, he's no longer that little baby, so get over this story about the little baby in the manger. He is the king of kings. And when you go out here today, you realize he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God of gods. And he's the one that controls the cosmos every day with his mighty spoken word. If somebody, science tell you, well, the sun's going to burn out in two million more years. Don't you believe it? All Jesus has got to do is say, bam, and it'll be there hot forever. I mean, he, he is the one in control. So 
So don't matter what science tells you, you don't have to believe nothing them guys tell you. All you got to do is serve Jesus. There was a lady that called me the other day and she said, Thurman, I'm listening to you and your faith walk. She said, you know, there's a lot of talk about there may be some nuclear attacks in the future. I said, I know that. She said, does that worry you? I said, no, ma'am. She says, why does it not worry you? I said, well, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego under the law could say, the God we serve is well able and He will deliver us through this fire. And He did. I said, I'm going to make the declaration right now. If a nuclear bomb is dropped downtown Dallas, the ministry center and me and the people that work with me, we're going to all still be here tomorrow whenever everything opens back up for business. We're going to still be here. I said, we're walking in the kind of faith that nothing can touch us. Nothing. I am declaring that our Lord is well able and He will protect us through anything that comes. All of us. Just like the other day we were talking about the rapture. And Cheryl said, if the rapture comes, you better make sure I'm hanging on to your coattail. I said, you don't have to worry. If I go, you're going. I can guarantee you. But we're all going if it does occur. But who knows when the rapture will occur. Who knows how it's going to be. Who knows if it's going to be a year from now. But like I said, a lot of people are going to receive their personal rapture today. They're going to die. And they're going to go home somewhere. And they're all going to stand before the king. And he'll either look at you and say, come in. Or he'll do this. And there won't be no reprieve. If he points his finger down, then the demons of hell will come. And they will take you into the pit of hell. And you will be there forever. That's scary, isn't it? That's scary. So whatever you do this week, worship Him, praise Him, read His Word, thank Him for what He done for us, thank Him that He come to this earth 2,000 years ago to become that baby. Because if He had enough, there would be no hope for you and me. But He came and defeated that devil so you and me can live the abundant life where we can live in health for that everything we do can prosper. But you've got to put Him first every day of your life or it will not work for you. You have to put Him first. You have to believe His Word. And you have to be obedient to do exactly what He says. Like Dave has told me many times, he said, the reason it took me nearly two years to get my healing is because God told me, I healed you even though you didn't have a personal relationship with me in that whole time. You were standing on my Word. But in spite of yourself, I still healed you. But he said, if your intimacy with me had been much better, you got healed a whole lot faster. Now see, they didn't understand that. I mean, as he and I have talked about those things, we both grow closer in that intimate walk with God. He's getting closer, and I'm getting closer. And we're walking closer with God. I want to be there, don't you, Keith? I want to be there. I don't want to be turned over to the devil, do you? Absolutely not. Yeah. I've been there and done that. It? <laughs> Ain't no fun over there, is it? No, no. Well, we're grateful that the King came. We're grateful that we can give. and we can. I know that many of you are going to have times with your family 
and everything else today and tomorrow and maybe who knows all week. Some of you may have times with family and friends. But remember, whatever you do, worship the King and realize that this is His birthday. It's Him we're worshiping and not the Babylonian system. We're worshiping the King. Father, I thank You. I thank You, Lord, that You came to this earth to pay the price for us. Lord, what a privilege it's been to know You to love You, to serve You, and to see You do the great and mighty things that as we pray for people, the miracles and the healings and the deliverances and everything we get to see You do, we are so grateful, Lord. Lord, we ask You to make the year 2007 a much more productive year on all of our parts. Lord, may we send out more teachings. May they be perfectly accurate. Lord, may You inspire me and Dave and all of us, Ty, as we teach Your Word, and Lord, as we go through everything, and our, our ladies, Lord, all of them, may You bless them, watch over them, protect them. Everybody that works in the ministry, may You watch over them and bless them. May You give us all more knowledge and wisdom and revelation and understanding of who You are. And Lord, as we gain that knowledge and spiritual understanding, as we walk in obedience to Your Word, may You increase Your anointing. May You increase Your power. May you increase the answers to prayer, and may we see 2007 be the biggest year that we have ever seen in this ministry, and may every year get bigger and bigger and bigger, because we want to touch people for you. You told us, Father, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Lord, we're beginning to do that, and Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of this ministry that you've pulled together. It's your ministry, and you're doing it. And Lord, everybody has a part, everybody that gives resources to this ministry, I ask you to bless them and bless them abundantly this year with knowledge, wisdom, financial prosperity, everything. That Lord, that we might all serve you and put you first. And may we all give you that great sacrifice of worship and praise and purity because I know that's what you want. You want us to walk in purity and holiness and praise You. And Lord, may we do that this year. And Father, we thank You for this past year. We thank You for all the souls You've led into the kingdom. We thank You for all the people that have been healed and delivered. And we're so grateful for the lives that have been changed. And Lord, those lives that have been changed, I know they're grateful. Help them to never forget what You've done for them. Now Lord, thank You for being our Lord and our God, and our Savior, our Healer, our Deliverer, our Provider. We are so grateful. And we praise You and worship You and thank You for this day. Thank You, Father. Thank You, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.